it's important as parents that we just we don't stop believing in our kids and we just we keep fighting for them and at the same time you know having to learn to take care of ourselves in that process too and and make making sure that we're staying you know topped up on our own mental health and mental well-being i really really believe that no matter what our kids go through and no matter what we see even like even what i've seen our athletes go through that if they are alive there is hope um, because i've seen some really ugly cases where it honestly by like it looks like it's hopeless like it looks like it's just a matter of time before this kid ends up dead like there's no way that they're going to recover there's no way that they're going to make it and i've seen these same exact kids do do a 180 and totally transform their life Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. And I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same. Like right now. Get in the back of the net. I am in a very good mood today, folks. Now, social life is often predicated on the concept of drinking alcohol. Celebrations and social gatherings usually involve alcohol, and because of this, problems with drinking and addiction can develop even at a very young age. However, we can always turn things around by being willing and choosing the path to sobriety. And this is where Venetia Briolt comes in. Venetia shares her story towards recovery and her experiences in helping her children battle addictions. She discusses the importance of checking in with yourself and the people you care for. Doing this requires vulnerability and opening up about your feelings, even if it's difficult. Three reasons to listen on beyond my meanderings. One, understand the importance of leading by example and keeping faith in your kids who are dealing with addiction. Two, learn to check in with yourself and hold yourself accountable in your journey through recovery. And three, discover the value and power of opening up and talking about your struggles, which Venetia does from a deep, deep place of vulnerability you'll be really touched by this episode, okay? Now, it takes gusto to live your recovery out loud, but that is how Venetia Briot has pledged to live her life every freaking day. Now, recognizing her community as a chance to impact change on a local and national level, she is a crusader for social justice. Venetia's personal story of addiction is the motivating force behind her dream of breaking down the stigma surrounding mental health issues, a goal that couldn't be timelier. She is the founder and CEO of the Terminator Foundation, a nonprofit organization helping youth overcome addiction. Its motto, the truth is you can can recover drives a mission to revolutionize lives through the sport of triathlon, offering one-to-one coaching, training support, mindfulness practices, and a guaranteed non-judgmental atmosphere. The foundation hosts an annual conference and several fundraisers to help support individuals and families impacted by addiction. I think it's an absolutely amazing, incredible idea um, that you get youngsters who are really struggling with addiction and say, hey, how about you run a triathlon? Run a triathlon, do a triathlon. Compete in a triathlon. I don't even know what the right words are, right? But I think it's fantastic because if you put your time and effort into doing that, why would you want to drink and take drugs, right? So without further ado, I'll shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of the beautiful, the very vulnerable, the very powerful, Venetia Briot. Hey, Venetia, let's... Uh, Let's jam it. Do you know like they do jamming in music? 
<laughs> we can we can we call that air banding. I call that air banding. Air banding. We can air band our waffle. So where are you, Venetia? Like where am I located? Or yeah. right now, where are you right now? Uh well, Calgary, Alberta, mm-hmm. in my living room. I yeah. like it. Did I pronounce <laughs> your name right? Venetia? Yeah. Venetia. I've never met a Venetia before. Well, that's 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 awesome. Hmm. I um, interviewed Neil Donald Walsh the other day, the author of Conversations with God. And before we started, he said, what's your name, by the way, boy? I said, um, it's Lee. He went, what? I said, it's Lee. He said, your name is Lee? He's like, yeah. He's like, Lee? I was like, yeah, wow. it's a pretty common name. I think if you type it <laughs> in Google, it's one of the most common names in the world alongside Chang. Like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, so Dude, funny. That's funny. You never know, hey, what you're gonna yeah, you never you never know. Come across. People don't, yeah. people don't know a Lee. Um I want to start out by telling you a little story, something that happened the other day, and um it will lead into um what, what one of the main reasons I wanted you to come on the podcast. I was on a a podcast with a famous poker player the other day. His name is Ben C B and he has um he has something ridiculous, like access to like a quarter of a million people, right? Like he's, he's like oh, wow. a big name in poker. Um, and after the podcast, a few people contacted me to ask me to, to help them uh, work with gambling addiction. And one of them set up a call with me and I got on the call like this. So the first time I'm seeing this, this guy's face and I don't know about you, but like when I, when I meet someone, my, there's this an automatic judgment system that just, just kick, kicks in. It's like, oh, does this person conform to the ideals of what's in my subconscious, right? And as I did this to Harry, like I'm thin slicing him, as Malcolm Gladwell would say, first thing I thought was, gee whiz, this kid is so young. Like he's so young, right? Like, so then I asked him how old he was. And he said, he said, I'm 21. And I said to myself in my mind, Oh, this is a waste of time. This is going to be a waste of time. I'm, I'm not going to be able to help him. He's not going to want to do any work. And then after talking to him for a while, I said to him at the end, you know, when it came to whether or not we was going to work together, I said, um, I don't think this is going to work because, you know, it costs a decent chunk of change to work with me. And my experience of working with working people with in people. their early 20s, they don't want to help. They they're, they're in this experimental risk-taking phase where everything you're doing right now that you don't want to do is almost decreed by society that, that you have to do it. So for me to say to you at 21, okay, we need to go through this process where you're never going to drink alcohol again, you're likely to run to the hills. And he said, that's not going to happen. So he signed up and then he left before we'd even started. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so there's a paradox, you know, and you have a lot more experience than me. Here's a paradox, right? I think to myself, wow, if I only knew what I knew now when I was younger about how the addictive system of life works, things yeah. could have been different. So yeah. that could be an entry point to help people. But how difficult is that? Because when I try, nobody wants to listen to me. So you're in that entry point with the Terminator Foundation. So how do you make it work? What's, what do you find going on there? Well, I think, I mean, for starters, they, they do have to want it. But, but, but we're, I think some of our maybe advantage, I don't know if I would totally call it an advantage, but it's a, it's a bit of an edge. There's an edge to Terminator that 
you know, we're not just um, sitting around talking and stuff like that. We're, you know, if you're, if you're coming, if you're calling me, we're like, we're going to get active. And so the edge is that it's, um, it pushes them. And, and it's a, and I think there's a bit of a, a just like a thrill to it too. Right. And mm. that is helpful. It's helpful in getting them engaged, having them stick, you know, we still lose, we still lose kids too. Right. Like we still have some that same, just like, just like anything, just like any treatment program, any kind of therapy, any kind of, you know, resource like that, counseling, whatever it is. I mean, sometimes you need to go around a few times, you know what I mean? Some, and, and so we have that too. We have, you know, kids that will come in and they train for a couple of weeks and we never see them again, you know? Mm. So it's just, it's just par for the course, right? That's, I think that is, that's just, that's addiction too. Like that's just the beast addiction. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're right in the sense that people are just going to, you know, they're not, they're not going to be ready. I think in the message that I put out there, I'm totally missing that group of people. And that is because my, my story is all, you know, is all about divorce and, uh, and loss at, at a much later age going through, you know, the, the midlife kind of like uh, awakening. So of course that's going to miss that group. But I do often think to myself, if I just did target them, how challenging it would be because I have a 20 year old son, for example, Venetia, and, you know, he has a mom who drinks a lot and he has a dad who helps people never drink. So he's, he's really woke when it comes to, you know, what alcohol does to him, how devastating it can be, but there's no way on this planet that that kid's not going to drink. Every time we have a conversation around it, he's like, man, no, like my entire social life is predicated on me going out and drinking this stuff. It's bad enough now as it is with lockdown. If you took that away from me, like I, I literally would, my mental health would just, just evaporate into nothingness. It's yeah. a problem. Yeah, I think so too. I think, you know, I don't know. Cause I, I mean, usually the, the kids that we're getting they're I mean, they've had enough. They've mm. already had enough, you know? And so I think it just, I think it kind of just depends. I mean, I mean, some of them could keep going and end up like you and I, you know, losing stuff, losing marriages, losing jobs, smashing cars, like, you know, the, uh, those stories and, and some of them probably will, but I really believe that especially with where we're at in the whole arena of addiction and mental health. Now, I, I believe strongly that the, the sooner we can get that message to these kids, the better off they are. Like, just like you were saying in the beginning, if I only, if I knew now when, you know, when I was younger, how much different my life would have been. And I, I feel the same way. Like if I would have had someone like me fighting for me when I was, you know, a, a teenager and a young adult and just that different messaging, like, oh my gosh, like I can't even imagine where, you know, and I still ended up in the program, like, you know, AA at, at a young age, but I was also almost kicked out of AA because I was so young. And it was just right. like, what, yeah, like it, it was almost kind of like, what the hell? You can't be here, you know? Mm. 
And, but anyways, so I'm just, I, I really, I really do think that we, you know, because it's also the, the drugs and stuff, especially the drugs, but I mean, they're killing our kids now. The, a lot of these kids don't get that whole like experimental, um, you know, not here for a long time, just here for a good time, you know, mm. kind of thing, like all of that stuff. And I just don't, I, you know, with the way the world is now, I don't, I, we can't afford that, just that messaging and the influence that's out there, even with social media and the stuff that they have access to. They, they, the kids I feel seem to be going down harder, faster than ever before. And so, yeah. And it's, uh, and it's difficult because we never experienced what they're experiencing now. Right. So, you know, when I listened to my son talked about loneliness, you know, say, so what's, what's, what's going to wind me up about my boy. Right. Let me think. All right. If my son takes an image of himself with his top off, showing his muscles on Instagram, I, it riles me up. And I, I used to go to him and say, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? What's the purpose? Are you seeking external validation? Are you trying to make a living out of it? Because it seems to me like you're just saying, look at my body, tell me I'm nice because I don't appreciate myself, right? I don't do that anymore, obviously, because I've realized that, uh, that you know, that's not going the right way. Um, but what he, what he then gives me feedback or asking me feedback on is, when that phone doesn't ring, I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. I am, I'm not in the conversation. I'm not in the group. I'm not in the tribe. So I always have to think of ways to use this to engage so people engage with me, dad, because if people don't engage with me, I've got nobody and nothing. And then I was like, holy shit, like I have never experienced that. I've experienced going out and being a part of a group or not being a part of a group or a group not wanting me to be around them, mm-hmm. but not not a um, virtual savagery. Yeah of that i've never experienced it yeah me neither i and that's i think like yeah i mean i i know for me growing up like i was bullied a lot as a kid but it was it was totally like in your face bullying because that's all we had right so you know it wasn't yeah and that's and that's even that's even why i think we just as parents as communities as leaders as you know that we really do have our work cut out for us because they are, they, they are, and they do like their whole, like you said, their whole lives are wrapped up in, in how they're perceived, mm. you know, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on all of those platforms. I mean, there's platforms out there. I don't even know, know about as a, as a parent, as a mom, you know, mm. but, and that's why too, like, that's why I kind of, you know, with Terminator, it it shows them a lot of times another side of themselves that they never even knew existed, you know, and then they're able to kind of tap into, you know, just actually how amazing they are. And, and just some of that program just comes with that because we do want them to, because, I mean, social media is horrible in a lot of ways like there's there's good that you know we can use it for and i use it you know what i mean for what i need it for but when it comes to making our kids it dictates whether they feel good about themselves or not today like that's scary 
for for every per when you take a photograph of yourself with your bicep out for every you know five people who say wow you look amazing there's going to be one that says you know look at you 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 small armed guy or you you ugly looking guy or whatever um, yeah. or or if you don't here's the other aspect of it is um, if you don't get that then it's the bias it's the inherent bias that exists in the system as well so I'll give an example when i worked in the poker industry poker on twitter so the poker community on twitter is <laughs> toxic like you you write something and put it out there like a blog post or something that that you're providing value for the poker industry very quickly you'll get someone saying who wrote this shit right like if you're you're trying to help someone with mental health in poker someone will have a go at you for it right like it's a real toxic place i found in the addiction side of things when i'm writing and i'm helping people it's full of love right so so there's a part of me that was like oh well i, I like writing and interacting in the addiction community i don't like it so much in the uh, poker community but actually how real is what I'm experiencing in the addiction community. Like, how how real is it? Like, do you know what I mean? You, I don't know. So all of a sudden, it, it becomes like, you know, it's like there's, um, there's a blinker up that doesn't allow me to see the reality of the situation where you can in a real physical relationship and relationships because yeah. you just get this intuitive sense and feeling that something's not right or something is right or he's not right or he's toxic or she's toxic or whatever that you don't seem to get virtually. Unless it's right in your face, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I I think, uh, and I mean, this is, you hear this a lot now that we're, we've never been more connected. You know what I mean? And, and had more ability to connect with people all across the world, right? But we, we're, we are the loneliest than we've ever been in the world today. Mm. You know, it's like a lonely epidemic is on the rise. It's the, you know what I mean? But we've never been more connected. We've never had more ability to connect and reach people and reach across the world, you mm. know, and, but we're the loneliest that then, then we've, we've ever been. And yes. So, it's like, it's la the loneliness is louder than ever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I went, I went through that this morning. Actually, I did a, I did a live. I did a Facebook live this morning. I've been doing Facebook lives. It's like a new thing, right? Like I've been mm -hmm. doing just experimenting. And nobody's been showing up. And I've been, I've been like this morning, like one person showed up and I was like, straight away, what am I doing wrong? What the fuck am I doing this for? What, what, what's the matter with people? What, what's going on? You know? And then, but luckily enough, like I said to my tribe, you know, like I shared that with them. I, I always like to share what's going on for me internally, you know, like, cause yeah. I don't, I don't drink anymore, but that, that doesn't mean that I, I still don't get triggered. Right. Totally. You yeah. know, so it was just like, First, most important thing is awareness. Like you need to be aware that this shit is going on and acceptance that, hey, you're going to feel like this and that's okay. You got to learn to live with it and then just feel those feelings and then just be, okay, what do I need to do? Do I need to keep persevering and pushing on or do we need to test, tweak and polish and do something different, you know? But yeah, if I'm feeling it at, uh, at I nearly said 35 then, wow, I really lost my age at 46. <laughs> um, God knows what younger kids are doing. So tell us more about the Terminator Foundation and so people get a better understanding of it. Well, uh, in essence, the I mean, the Terminator Foundation, we work with youth and young adults uh, up to and including the age of 30. And we train them to do triathlons to support their recovery journeys. And so mm. 
we'll take them no matter where they're at on that journey. So they could be 24 hours sober. They could be, you know, relapsing and, try, you know, struggling to maintain some sobriety. They could have, say, six months in and just feel like, holy crap, this sucks. Like if this is recovery, this is lame, you know, and they just kind of want more out of their recovery. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll pretty much work with anyone. So, and then they don't have to have any prior, even athletic ability or, or anything like that. They just, they just need to want to, they just need to want to, and we'll work with them. So, yeah. Need to want to, I like that. Yeah. Just being, just being working on, um, just be willing, right? Just yeah. be willing to willing to get in the water and willing to get on the bike and willing to go for a run. Yeah. 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 Vol- voluntary participation. Yeah. It's like um, I've been learning that it's one of the four key cornerstones of any great game. Like if you're not voluntary participating, you've had it. So if you if your mum signs you up for the Terminator Foundation and you don't, <laughs> you've had it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, they have to want to. They have to yeah. want to. Yeah. So is this is this in person? COVID has obviously affected us too. Yeah. Right. And so we are uh we're going to be training in person, uh, but just doing the running uh mm-hmm. component of the program right now because that's the only thing that we can do outside right now. Um, and so just you know, respecting the restrictions, like only in groups of 10, stuff like that. Um and so if we have to end up having a few groups, then that's fine. But yeah, we're we're totally taking like we're looking for athletes right now. So yeah. If you're listening, if you're listening, if you want to give back to the community. So that's what you're looking to do, is it? So get loads of different people from around the world willing to run groups for you. So like in the UK, for example, they have like something called Park Run. I think they uh, they pick it up on the internet. There's a there's a local park. There's going to be a run. Everybody turns up. They all get a bib and they they do like a run together, uh, oh. and and it's it's a movement that is um you know gone quite big. You'll regularly see like fifty to one hundred people running around your park, all because of social. See, that's a good element yeah, of social media. I, I know, I know. I hear you, Lee. Yeah, it, mm. totally. So, what are you seeing? What works for you f- with the youth? So, if you're a one of the things that happens quite a lot, of course, is um, parents who you know, come through 1000 days sober and they stop drinking, they, they're they very often unsure what to do or how to behave with their teenagers and or their kids in their 20s or even older who are drinking. Um, what are some of the some pieces of advice you could give, do you think, to parents, what you've picked up in your time with the Terminator Foundation? Well, I think one of the biggest things is just, one, well, I'm, I'm in long-term recovery too, right? So it's just leading by example. like leading and living by example. I think that's the best thing we can do as parents. And, and I know for me, like I I have four kids and they're pretty much all grown, all my kids. I also have six grandchildren Mm -hmm. and, you know, we never, you never stop parenting as you're always a parent. You know what I mean? Like when your kid's in trouble, it doesn't matter how old they are. They're still your kid, you know, and you're still, want to try to find a way to support them the best way that you can. And I mean, I've had to, you know, I've watched some of my kids go down some pretty ugly roads when it comes to addiction and drugs, alcohol. And 
I mean, I think it's important as parents that we, that we just, we don't stop believing in our kids and we just, we keep fighting for them. And at the same time, you know, having to learn to take care of ourselves in that process too, and, and make, making sure that we're staying, you know, topped up on our own mental health and mental well being. But yeah, just never, I, I really, really believe that no matter what our kids go through and no matter what we see, even like, even what I've seen our athletes go through, that if they are alive, there is hope. Um, because I have seen some really ugly cases where it, it honestly, by like, it looks like it's hopeless. Like it looks like it's just a matter of time before this kid ends up dead. Like there's no way that they're going to recover. There's no way that they're going to make it. And I've seen these same exact kids do, do a 180 and totally transform their life and make it like, they're not just like, you know, like fucking recovery, fucking sober, you know, life sucks. Like they're like, they're back in school, they're working, they've now have families, like they have completely done a what you would never even know that it, that was the same kid that was suicidal living on the street. Like, you know what I mean? So I just, I really think as parents and as community members and stuff like that, that we, the most important thing is to, yeah, lead by example, live by example, and never stop holding out hope for these kids. Never stop believing that they can make it. You know, we just don't always know what it's going to look like. And that's, I think, you know, sometimes that's hard for us because especially as parents and stuff, because we don't, it's hard to see our kids hurting, you know, and we want to be able to just get in there and fix it and just listen, you know, do this, just listen to me. And it's hard to watch them kind of fumble and stumble and find their own way. But part of that is just even our own work in just trusting the process too, and trusting that, you know, they are watching us and their eyes are on us to see what we're doing. And, and you touched on something earlier about just, you know, you know, making sure that we're checking in with ourselves as parents and checking in with our people and, and, you know, giving ourselves the grace to feel our feelings. And we need to be able to feel our feelings, even when it's hard with our kids, Mm. You know, and to, because it is going to be hard, it is going to sometimes break our hearts and, you know, just know that, yeah, sometimes I'm just going to feel like bawling my face off because I can't handle where my son is at right now. And it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, mm. you know, but, and still being able to take care of myself in the process. Like I right now have my youngest son is, he'll be 18 in April and he's totally struggling with an addiction right now, big time. And it's scary. There's been some really scary times with him, you know, and, and just feeling like, you know, what, what to do. And, and, and I've been down this road before, you know, but, but I haven't been down this road with this kid, you know what yeah. I mean? With my, with this child of mine, you know, he's different. He's not the the same as my daughter. He's, I'm not even the same person I was six years ago. Right. And so mm. just, just being able to just be in the moment and have my feelings and recognize that this really freaking sucks right now. And I got, I have nothing left today. And, you know, I had a day like that just the other day where I just was like, 
I'm done. I'm done today. I'm done. I got mm-hmm. nothing left in the tank. I'm done. You know, and just taking a break, stopping, you know, reaching out to my friend group and stuff like that, my support people, my tribe, my, mm-hmm. you know, but I, and I think that's the more, you know, as parents, we even have these conversations that we can find each other, you know, using social media, stuff like that, like these, mm-hmm. the more we're going to be able to pull each other out and get, and get through it because parenting's hard. It's hard. Even when it's good, it can be hard, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's, it's never ending. Like I have a daughter that's almost 30 and she has kids of her own. She's married, has kids of her own. And, you know, you just, you never, we never stop really parenting. It just changes and evolves. Yeah. yeah. Never stop, never stop worrying. Um, I'm really sorry to hear that you're going through that. I mean, it must be, it's one of the biggest fears of a parent, isn't it? You, we, we don't, we don't want them to fall out of a tree. We don't want them to get run over <laughs> by a car. My, my four-year-old just, three weeks ago was bitten in the face by a dog right like but the worst of all is is worrying about them getting their heart broken mentally thinking fucked up thoughts they're the ones that worry me the most you know because like they're the ones that we we really struggle and it does show you as well your work as well like you know you said then we can't tell them what to do i was thinking fucking hell i've done that a lot with jude and I know it's wrong. And that's then, then I'm like, why, why, what is that saying about me? Why do I need to, why am I trying to be this guy's hero? What, what the nerves going on here? Right. So then is that internal work as well that goes on, you know? Absolutely. And being willing to do that internal work, right? Yes. You know what I mean? Instead yeah. of just making it all about the kid, right? Yeah. It, it is, it does come back to us as parents and, why is this so uncomfortable for me? Or what am, what am I so afraid of that's going to happen? And, and yeah, being able to look at our own selves. And even when our kids aren't totally succeeding or looking like, oh, wow, look at your son and daughter. They're like, wow, they're amazing. Like, you must have been a freaking rock star of a parent to have it, mm. you know, with your kids so successful. And when our kids aren't successful or they're, they are struggling or they're not doing well, or they're whatever, you know, we, what, how we internalize that as parents too, you know what I mean? And the messaging that then we, you know what I mean? Like how we feel like that all of a sudden that changes our value as parents or something, or it diminishes our value as parents and being able to just see past all of that, that these are, these people we are raising or have raised or whatever are just that. They're their own people. We interrupt your broadcast to bring you some important news. Are you sick of fighting with your partner? Are you sick of fighting with your kids? Are you sick of fighting with your mother's brother's sister's dog called Punky? If the answer is yes, then you have to get over to www.1000daysober.com, click on free stuff and join the 12-Day Relationship Secrets Workshop. How to embody conscious conflict and deepen your connection with yourself and those that you love. But be quick, ladies and gentlemen. The doors shut on Wednesday, the 17th of March, and who knows, we may never open them again. Now, without further ado, we're going to get rid of this Lee Davy talking through his nose and bring you back to the lovely, the delicious, the delectable Venetia Briault. I'll tell you what comes up for me, and I want to talk about this because um, I believe what Brenny Brown says that 
to kill shame, you have to talk about shame. Yeah. A, a lot of things that comes up with uh, my boy in particular, I, I have a four-year-old and a 20-year-old, right? So they're both very different. My 20-year-old lives with his mum 5,000 miles away. My daughter lives with me every day and is four. So I'm, I, 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 they both challenge me in different ways. But um, with my son, a lot of the time I'm battling personal shame. So I couldn't make that relationship work or it wasn't, it wasn't meant to work. It ended. And as a consequence of me and his mother splitting up, that broke his heart. I then fell in love with somebody who lived 5,000 miles away. I then had another daughter with that woman. That's now my life. They're my love. They're my family. And I'm away from him, right? So whenever anything isn't tip-top in his life, I feel an incredible amount of shame. And I start to blame myself for the reason that things are going wrong for him. Even if he just rings me up and says, Dad, I'm lonely, I feel ashamed that I've left him and I'm not in that country, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I don't think to myself, oh, uh, he's that way because he has my genes, therefore he's caught my disease. I think I've left him and I feel really ashamed, right? So that's important to to talk about. I just want to put it out there. I want to ask you how you, how you feel ar- around your kids with addiction as well, because a lot of parents really struggle with with that whole thing, especially if they've gone through that process. They're they kind of blame themselves and they're like, oh, well, this was inevitably going to happen because I was such a fuck up when I brought them up. Um, yeah. What's your personal experience being with that? Well, I mean, I I have, can totally relate and I have totally felt like that, like especially, um, especially with my daughter, Eden. She's my second oldest child. She's now in... Uh, she's now four, just over four years in long-term recovery, but her addiction ended up taking her to the streets. Like she was addicted to fentanyl, heroin on the street, you know, got into prostitution, you know, gang. It, it was, it was horribly ugly, right? The worst mm. it could possibly be. And I totally blame myself. And, and I, I still sometimes find even recently with my boys, cause my boys are almost 18 and 20. That I still, and like I said, you know, there's been, there's some addiction issues and stuff there. And I can just even recently was feeling like, man, if I hadn't have drank, if I hadn't have been emotionally unavailable, like would this even be happening? And I just, and so I get, I get going there in our head, right? You know, but I also know, I mean, first of all, we can't go back and change the past. You know what I mean? And I really do believe to like, we clearly, I know for me, if I could have done better, I would have done better. Hmm. I don't know about you, but most parents I know, like, we don't, we, none of us intend to hurt our kids. There's not an intention out there to not be available or, Hey, I think I'm going to abandon you today. Like, I think I'm going to, I just feel like neglecting you today. Uh, Like, uh, that's no parent I've ever heard. And I definitely, like, I I believed I was fighting and doing everything I could for, for my kids, you know? Mm. And so I, I know too, like, I, I can't go back. And that's where, I mean, and that's where too, I even find now just that messaging of recovery and, you know, being accountable and all. All I know is all I can do is go forward. All I can do is keep moving forward, keep pressing forward, keep doing everything I can today 
to be there for my kids and to let them know I'm here for you. So that's why even like my daughter, that's my oldest daughter, she's going to be 29 here in a few months. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here for my other daughter. That's, you know, almost 24. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm here and I've been here now. I'm in long-term recovery and have been for like almost eight years now. And so it's just, and I, you know, I think another part of it too, and, and I've always told my kids this, like just before I sobered up this last time, like, you know, I had tried to get sober, tried, 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 failed, failed, failed. And then the last time I sobered up, I, I finally had, I went back to AA and um, anyways, prior to doing that though, but I, so that, that first year of my sobriety, I like, I don't know about you, but I knew for me, I was totally done. Like I knew in my head and in my heart, my soul, my gut, I will never drink again. I'm done. It's finished for me. I knew it in every fiber of my being, but I dared not apologize to my kids again. I was so even sick and tired of my own apologies. I thought I need to show them now by example that I'm the ship has turned, you Mm. know? And so for the first year of my sobriety, I never once said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for all that shit. I'm sorry for all the hurt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I never apologized. I just every day did the work every day. Mm. And then finally, about a year later, a year or so later, then I finally went to my kids and asked for amends. You know, I I asked for forgiveness. I said, you know, took full responsibility, stuff like that. And all of these years since, one of the other things that I have really have really believed in is I've I've told my kids to, if there ever is a time in your life where something triggers you or you have a memory or it just kind of comes out of the blue, whatever happens and something comes up for you where you remember a time that maybe I said something or I did something that hurt you, like in my drinking years or whatever, um, I want you to let me know. And because I also decided a long time ago too, especially when I started to see my daughter Eden going downhill that I I, we're, we're so concerned about our reputations, you know, as people, as parents, what we look like on the outside, you know, what our coworkers think, what the neighbors think, what the community thinks. And I remember when I went through this with Eden and she was going downhill and she went downhill fast and I had just come out of my own addiction and had been sober for about six months and I was having to get her into treatment and, and I realized like everyone's going to know it's, it's going to look like it's my fault that she's ended up as an addict and an alcoholic, because of course, you know, there's, uh, there's this broken down single mother from a really fucked up home and who's an drunk herself. Like, of course her daughter would end up like that. Right. Mm. And I remember having going into this treatment center and feeling like I, I got to face this, but I also something happened in me and it was probably because it was my daughter. You know what I mean? It wasn't about me anymore. It was about mm. someone that I fiercely loved. And I remember just feeling like I had come to the end of myself and I was just like, I, I actually don't give a shit what these people think of me. All I cared about was saving this girl's life. 
You know what I mean? I didn't, to me, it didn't matter anymore what I looked like and what, what people thought of me because my own kids knew who I really was, you know, behind closed doors and behind, they knew, they knew who I was. So what does it matter if you think I'm a rock star or you think I'm a broken down, busted up mother, no good for nothing mother, like all that mattered to me anymore was what my kids thought, what my kids Mm -hmm. felt and doing everything I could in my life to get them and be the support for them that I needed to be. And I, I learned going into that treatment center with my daughter. And I seen, I was probably, I was at the time, I was the only single mom in that entire place with a child that was struggling with addiction. All the other parents were, they were two, all the other kids were from two parent families. They lived in the same house on the same you know, block for the last 30 years. They went on vacations. They ate dinner every night. They, do you know what I'm saying? Like all of the paradigms, all of the stereotypes I had in my head about addiction and who addiction attacks all went out the window because I seen doctors with messed up kids, teachers, parents that had never gotten a divorce, their kid was in there. So I, that shifted my paradigm where I realized, you know what? This isn't as much about me as I thought it was. Yes, I have my baggage and I have my stuff that I've been through and we had to get a divorce and all of that. Like all of that was still there, but it wasn't, I didn't make Eden. You know what I mean? It wasn't all about me. And so it took some of that onus off. And then also just the fact that I just, decided to that I just decided to show up exactly how I, I just wanted help. So I, I, I just told everyone before they even had a chance to find out that, you know what, I'm an alcoholic. I've been struggling with an addiction. I, I've been drinking. Um, my ex-husband molested my oldest daughter. Like I just, I just said, here's my closet. I'm going to open it up and here's all the shit in my closet. This is all the stuff I've been dealing with. This is all the, the ugliness. This is the ugly truth of what we've been going through. Here it is. Now just help me, hmm. help me get my girl, you know, some support. And I just, I just felt like, you know, here, here it is. Just here it is. If you have something to say, say it because it can't be any worse than what I've already said to myself. It can't be any worse than what my kids and I have already been through or what they've already been put through. Can't be any worse. So like take your best shot kind of thing. But I was just so done. I just wanted help. And so, and, and that's sort of the way I've just kind of continued to live. You know what I mean? Mm. And because you know, too, like addiction is so shameful. It's so stigmatizing. It's so shameful. You know, even in my own drinking career, I never, I hit it really well. I, you know, I didn't want anyone to know because of the shame and the shame is the worst thing that we can do for ourselves and for other people. And that's why I think there's so much power in just sharing our stories and just saying like, I'm struggling with my son. I'm worried about my son's mental health. I'm, this is what's going on. You know what I mean? And Mm. just to shine, shine that light on it. How, How did it feel when you finally, when you opened the closet for the first time and you spewed it, how did it feel? Terrifying. 
was terrified out of my mind. Mm. Yeah, I was terrified. But it, um, you know, it, it's funny, Lee, like not funny, haha, but I felt, I felt something break in me and, and such a release and freedom that I can't even, and I like, I don't know how to explain that. It's just, you know, I think, I think what it was is that, you know, we, we, we have this facade that we put on and we've had it there for so long. Like, I can't let you really see who I really am because then, you know what I mean? It's that fear, that innate fear in all of us that you, I'm just won't end up being worthy. I won't, you won't end up liking who I really am and what my struggles have really looked like. When I did that, that day in that it was, it was, they called it a parent's rap, a parent rap. And when I stood on that wall, literally in front of all my peers, all the other parents and just let it all out. It just, it released me from my, almost like my own bondage that are, you know what I mean? That wall I had been hiding behind my entire life, you know? Mm. And it just, and I've never, I mean, every once in a while, you know, you kind of put a few bricks back up, you know, <laughs> but then it's like, I, 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 I catch it quicker now. And I, you know, mm. I'm, I'm quicker to kind of smash it back down again. You know what I mean? And like, no, mm. I can't, I can't go there. Yeah. I can't go there. You know, it reminds, it reminds me of uh, the metaphor that I think about when I think about Brenny Brown's work, you know, around masks. And I think <laughs> we we put so many masks on. That throughout the years, it's almost like we're so suffocated. We've only been breathing on one lung, but one lung breath has become our normality. And it's not until you stand up and do the parent rap that all of a sudden the other lung inflates and you're like, oh, this is what it's like to really breathe. And then you mm-hmm. never want to put that mask back on again then because you just think, I like this freedom. I was in a coaching group recently called Kaboom. I might have said this before on the podcast, but one part of the training exercise was around sexual shame. So the coaches were of the opinion that, uh, and quite rightly, I, I think, that we, as coaches, we needed to talk about and delve deep into sexual shame because it, you know, I think the statistics are something like one in three women who are close and in your inner circle would have, would have been sexually abused or, or worse. Um, quite horrific numbers, right? So, and, and, Sex and money are like two of the most stigmatized conversations I can think of. Like if we think addiction is a tough one, like in my circle where we pride ourselves on being open, nobody ever talks about sex apart from me. And we had this, there was about 33 people in there, Phoenicia. And the guy said, right, we're going to share something we're ashamed of about our sexuality and our sex life. And I'm going to go first, he said. And then he said something. And then somebody else put their hand up and then somebody else. And he went really slow. And then eventually everyone went and he said, I'm going to give you another opportunity to get more off your chest. Nearly everybody put their hand up. So first off, nobody wanted to talk about it. But then in the safety and the trusting container, you saw other people help you feel like you were normal. And it allowed you suddenly that safe space and that security to just release all that pent up f- frustration. Yeah. And, and people were even thinking of things that they didn't even know that they were suffering from because somebody else had just mentioned it. Yeah. 
And let me just say what type of things we were talking about, because I'm not putting anybody's name. We're talking about people saying, I faked a rape because I felt so utterly lonely and everybody held space for that person and didn't make her feel like a monster. Mm. And then somebody else then said, I've had something similar. And you were like, the more I get exposed to this type of thing and just listening to what you were talking about, the more and more it reaffirms my belief that we are all the same. I think it was Alan de Boiton from A School of Life. He said, if psychotherapists were allowed to disclose what they talk about with their clients and they just did it en masse, the whole world would understand that we're all (laughs) fucked up and everything would be okay. <laughs> That's why so, these podcasts are important. But but you 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 what you did when you stood up and you did that thing is you gave a gift. This is this now. Everyone listening, Venetia's giving you a gift. Like it's a gift of vulnerability. It's allowing you to go, wow, if Venetia can do this, I can do this. And I just want to personally honor you and thank you for sharing your story with such emotion. Really felt it. You know? There was one thing you said when you said, um, you know, we can't go back, right? Can't go back and keep blaming ourselves. Do you know how it, how it worked for me with the divorce? And the fact that uh, as soon as we got divorced, I, I left my job and I ended up traveling around the world. And my ex-wife wouldn't let me see my son outside of our arrangement. So what, what does that mean? Let's say I was working in Barcelona for two weeks and I came home. And that week that I was home before I went to Prague, say, it wasn't my week to have him. She wouldn't let me see him. And I would call him and he would be in his house playing video games. And I couldn't see him. And then I would go away for another two weeks, right? So I, I, was, in, I was in that spot. And what happens to me is I, I say to myself, shit, 10 years have passed. I now need to make amends or I now need to do something different. And then before that, it was oh, a year's gone by. Honestly, it was it was almost like, and I'll say this as well, and I've spoke to my son about it, because I live in America and my son lives five thousand miles away in the UK, I'll forget that he's I'll forget he's there because he's not here every day. I don't hear the patter of feet, I don't hear him screaming in the bedroom because he ate box, and I get up in the morning and I get on with my life and I do my thing. And every now and then I'm like, oh yeah, I got a son, I need to give him a ring. Mm-hmm. Do I think do I think I'm a monster because of that? No, I, I think I'm normal. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that allowed me to actually talk to Jude about this and to Jude to say, well, do you know what, dad? I don't really miss you. I don't need to see you and hug you. There are times when I get really annoyed that you're not there, but I can see you on Zoom or WhatsApp anytime. And yeah, I, I, just, I just want you to know that I feel the same as you. We don't need to jump on a plane to be together all the time. <gasps> Whoa. But to even have that conversation, imagine how vulnerable you have to be to say to your son, I'm, forget- I'm forgetting about you sometimes. And him to say, yeah, me too. Yeah. It's freeing. Mm. It's freeing to be able to be yourself. Yeah. And um, to, yeah, finally just be yourself. I mean, I, I, I would put my hand up and say from a very young age, I, I think if you would have asked me when I was 25, do I share everything? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm an open book. <laughs> but there's so, there's so much I didn't, I was ashamed of that I didn't talk about. I would only go so far. So you even give off the veneer that you're an open book when you're not an open book, do you know? Yeah, yeah, I totally. So why, why, why is physical exercise so important? Why did you go into that? 
Well, it was sort of like, uh, it wasn't on purpose. It, it, um, it was kind of, uh, sort of like, a I don't know, I don't want to say an accident, but it was just kind of, cause I was, it was during the time where things were really bad with my daughter, Eden, she was out on the street and every day I didn't know if she was dead or alive. And I I've been a runner for like a long time now, like years, like 14 mm-hmm. years, I've always been kind of athletic my entire life, um, but definitely like consistently running for just over 14 years now. And so I'd been a runner and and that had helped me and stuff like that. And, but during that time with Eden, like, you know, how sometimes you have those like bucket list things like, Oh, you know, and I, this, it just so happened that when I was in my early twenties, I'd always thought about like, I seen someone doing an Ironman one time on the TV. And so I kind of dropped that into my bucket list and, you know, you kind of forget about it. Right. So I, it just sort of came about like five years ago or four years ago or whenever. And I ended up signing up. I was like, I'm going to do a, I'm going to, well, at first I was like, I'm going to do an Ironman. And then I kind of thought, I looked into it and I'm like, Oh, I actually don't have enough time to do an Ironman, but I could do a half Ironman. And so Cause I, so I, I ended up signing up and I trained to do this half Ironman in three and a half months, hmm. which is a little bit crazy. I, I'd never done a triathlon before ever in my life. I didn't own a bike. So all, <laughs> and I didn't know how to swim. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> all I had were my runners. I had my runners yeah. because I just was a runner. And, but I'm like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this half iron now. So I didn't even know, and I didn't even really have money either to like, just go buy a bike or just do whatever. Right. Anyways, I was just kind of trusting that things would kind of fall into place or whatever. And so I, I registered for the Ironman. I, it was like April 1st and in July, the middle of July, I completed my first uh, 70.3 Ironman. And I remember, and it was like the worst time of my life with my daughter. Right. And that's where, you know, I'm, I'm doing this training and I'm learning to swim and I, I can't swim. It was, it was really pathetic actually. And I felt really embarrassed for my coach that was coaching me and, you know, because then people get talking in the water and they're like, Oh, you know, what are you doing? She's and Cheryl would be like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm coaching Benicia. Like she clearly she's learning to learn how to, you know, she needs to yeah. learn how to swim. I couldn't even swim to the other end. And anyways, and they're like, Oh, is, is she doing a race? And Cheryl be like, yeah, she's doing a half iron. Like, you know, I'm <laughs> not really even wanting to say what the heck I was doing. And anyways, it was doing, doing, going through all of that training and, and this transformation that happened to me, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not like, I wasn't like some spring chicken, you know what I mean? I'm not like young in my twenties anymore. Like I'm, you know, I'm in my forties and I'm can't swim and I'm, but it's happening. The magic started to happen. And I started to be able to put the lengths together and swim to the other side. And I learned to breathe under the water and someone loaned me their bike and I'm getting out on the bike and, and it starting to put it together. And I could, feel my body getting stronger and feel, you know, just what was happening to me in my mind. And there were days Lee that were so hard. Like I, 
I remember one time in particular, I'd gotten some really bad news about my daughter and I was, my heart was broken. And I remember driving out to the pool and I just, I felt like I weighed a thousand pounds and I was bawling and I'm in the water and I'm like, I can't, I can't swim today, Cheryl. I can't swim. And she was just, you know, gently coaching me, like, just keep going, Venetia, just keep going. And, you know, so I'm bawling and trying to swim. And, and I, you know, I, I did though, I just kept going. And, and then I remember, you know, you, you, you do all of these, all you're doing all this training every day and you're putting in the time you're putting in the work and someday, and it's freaking painful and my legs hurt and everything hurts. And some, you know, my heart hurts and, but I'm still going and still going and still going. And, and then the day came for the half Ironman and I'm, I'm doing it. Like mm. I'm, I'm doing it. And I just remember feeling like I was like born again, again, you know, and I, I do, I am a spiritual person, but I just felt like it just took me to a next level, new heights. And I remember, remember the treatment center I was telling you about, you know, with yeah. Eden and the parents wrap. And I, I would sometimes go back to that treatment center to visit the parents and the kids. And cause it, it became like home. It was like a community. Right. And I remember one day, um, just before I did the half Ironman and one of the girls, uh, her name was Jilly and she was in there and she was like, Oh, Venetia, I heard you're doing, you're training for this half Ironman. She's like, that's so fucking cool, man. And she was like, I would love to do that one day. And right then and there, it just, it was like the, the idea for the triathlon was born. Right. And I looked at Jilly and I was like, would you really Jilly? would you really want to do this? And she was like, you know, you know, the kids, they swear a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. And I was, and so I held on to that and I was just like, okay, then we're doing it. And it was enough for me to hold on to that. I just thought, you know, if, if, if a mom like me, you know, a mom, I'm a kind of like an old gal, like me can, you know what I mean? use this triathlon to take my own recovery to next level during one of the most depressing times in my life. What can it do for these kids? You know, and that's where Terminator was really born. And then that fall, we launched the triathlon portion of the program. And that is the magic and the transformation that happens for these kids when they're training. That's the edge that it Mm. provides Mm. for these kids when they, you know, it's that belief that, well, you know, I can't even swim. I can't even, you know, I've tried so many times to get sober and I'm like, well, but you've never tried this way. You know what I mean? This Iron Man's going to kick your ass. Like training's going to kick your ass, but you're going to feel better than you've ever felt in Mm. your life. Like it's going to turn you on. Like you've never been turned on and it does. And I can say that because I felt it. Mm. You know what I mean? I experienced it. And so I know that when I'm saying that to them and I'm giving these kids that message, I know that the fire is being turned up, you know, the heat is being turned up and, and you can see it happen with them. So, yeah. Vanessa Brialt, I can imagine you there by the pool next to me. I can feel the fire. Um, 
Thank you for joining us. Uh, anybody yeah. listening, you want to learn more about Venetia Brialt and the Terminator Foundation, uh, particularly those of you listening. It's a nonprofit, right? Yeah. 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 So those of you listening who, who want to help out financially, get hold of Venetia as well. You can find her on www.1000daysober.com. Go to the podcast page. You'll see a little area there for Venetia. You get all the links and bio. I just want to say personal thank you for uh, really sharing your story with uh, an amazing passion um, and vulnerability, Venetia. It's been one of my favorite podcasts of all time. So thank you. Lee, thank you so much. It's really such an honor to be here with you. and I appreciate everything that, that you're doing. Thank you for having me on today. If you want to be somebody that doesn't drink alcohol or recover from any other addiction, improve your relationship with yourself and those that you love, or just want to learn to live a more conscious life, then here is what we can do to help you at 1000 Days Sober. Number one, we have a Strive subscription service, okay? So you pay a monthly fee, you come and join us, you come into our community, you get access to all our Marco Polo groups, you get access to our Kajabi group, you get access to uh, content that you will not see in the public sphere, mainly by yours truly, but by other people in my network, our friends as well. What else do you get? You get access to a weekly coaching call with myself. So you can get coaching, a one-on-one coaching with me on that weekly coaching call. And you get money off various different workshops and uh, invites to lots of other free stuff. So that's our subscription service. You could do group coaching programs, okay? Right now we have two group coaching programs both called the Strive Method. The first one is addictions, okay? And they last for six months. The relationship course also lasts for six months. We've got Strive Method for addictions, Strive Method for relationships. There are workshops, okay? Or you can work with me personally one-on-one, okay? You can work with me personally one-on-one. And if you want to get involved in any of that, then just head to www.1000daysober.com and you will find everything that's going on there, okay? We have pages there on the website which will direct you in the right place and how to get hold of me, including a workshop space there as well. We're always running workshops, so you can sign up for those as well. Last but not least, if you do love this show and it has changed your life and you want to change the lives of somebody else, tell somebody about it and rate and review it in your podcast provider. I would really appreciate that. If you want to just reach out to me, ask me a question, just email me, 1kdaysober.com. Ah, at gmail.com. Much love, everybody. Bye.